0: Jib newsletter speaks the series four, episode number nine for Tuesday August 5th 2023 it's JJ Sefton here along with my good friend co-blogger co-host CBD CBD good morning sir good morning to you
1: and good morning to all of our uh, many listeners so we're gonna we're, we're trying a, a slightly different bit of technology right now um, hopefully that's working better than it has in the past and uh, well we're gonna try to increase the frequency of our podcasts um, and probably decrease the length because uh we tend to uh jabber and jabber and jabber for far too long anyway so uh let's
0: fire it up absolutely cbd you mentioned uh on the cup jib newsletter site there was a comment by one of our uh, regular readers a very erudite uh, young person uh, named beverly and uh she raised some interesting questions that uh, that I think we want to address. Like, that I think is going to be interesting, make for interesting conversation for the general uh, the general public here.
1: Yeah, she mentioned the uh, I'll I'll read it to you. Um, the left has sidelined the word freedom and substituted the plural form freedoms, and she suggests that that implies privileges uh, rather than the uh, the unadulterated freedom um, from government interference. And you know I'm. I thought about it and I'm not 100% sure that she's correct but it's a very very interesting point and it's something that we need to be much more aware of because you know as as Orwell said the language is everything and the left is fantastic at manipulating language to make it do what they want it to do rather than uh, what it should be doing which is simply communicating ideas um, so is there a difference between freedom and freedoms? And the more I think about it, the more I realize that, that, uh, Beverly is in fact, correct, that there is a difference and whether the left is using this, uh, as, as a tool or is it just subconscious or is it simply a coincidence? I don't know.
0: You know, it could be a combination of all of those things, but I mean, as they say, uh, you know, I don't think that, that at least those who are in the, in the sort of upper echelons, if you will, of, of leftist thought, I think they're very, very intentional about the things that they say and the things that they put out there first as theory or to test the waters to, uh, to, to gauge public reaction before they go ahead full bore and try to institute things. But a lot of this freedom versus freedoms, I think, goes back to both not, not only Obama, but even before that, as you mentioned, um, you know, CBD, you know, freedom – Freedom and an overarching freedom from tyranny of government that 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 is embodied in the individual to the freedoms which are basically things that the government uh, doles out to uh, to people and of course can at any moment take them away. It started with, um, you know, Roosevelt had his four freedoms. Uh, the freedom from want the freedom freedom from the job or or whatever it was it was like it was sort of antithetical to the constitution when you look at it you kind of think well yeah maybe you know roosevelt's right yeah we want the freedom from want but you can't have freedom from want you'll always people will always human nature dictates that you'll always you know be be hungry or want something and and then it's up to the government i guess to guarantee it to, to guarantee that you get you know your government cheese not necessarily you know a penthouse apartment, and uh, you know, overlooking uh, Central Park. And the same thing with Obama. Obama was was famous for for declaring that the Constitution was a was a document of negative rights, and it was like preventing to him it was a catastrophe that the Constitution prevented the government and thereby ex- by extension the elites, so called, of our society from imposing their will on us for our own good, so to speak, as opposed to the Constitution, which guarantees our innate freedom. Uh, in the a- aggregate, uh, to live our lives uh, you know, as we as we see fit in living them, so long as we are, you know, act responsibly and you know, respect other people's rights and so on and so forth. Well, the, so true, I do the, think the true function of, of
1: the Constitution is to protect us from government. That that let us face it, every single uh, right that is guaranteed by the Constitution um, can be can be demonstrated as protection from the government. Um, and you know, you mentioned uh, FDR that those four freedoms are scary because he he i think he did it he listed them very very carefully was freedom of speech and freedom of worship and so he focused on the constitution and then he went farther or further freedom from want and freedom from fear and those are two things that the government is very very happy to step in and uh manipulate and that maybe more than anything else uh, convinced me that FDR was a totalitarian.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, he's viewed himself and maybe who knows if I give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, the cripple, you know, if I give him the benefit of the doubt, I would say <laughs> he's rolling. He's on a roll. He's one of them holy rollers. If I give him the benefit of the doubt, he like all these others think that they're doing this, you know, it's like a you know, they're they're they sort of view themselves as as superior beings and they know what's best for us in a sort of parental sort of way. Of course, uh, if you don't give him the benefit of the doubt, he's just basically a totalitarian tyrant who wants to dictate how he sees the world should run into hell with you if you if you disagree with that. But it's very interesting that you said, you know, the freedom from freedom of fear. And now all of a sudden, here we are 80, 90 years later, and we're talking about these so-called safe spaces and how you know all of a sudden people are freaking out if you dare to go against their orthodoxy by disagreeing with them and they are so-called quote-unquote triggered and people don't want to hear things that go against or are antithetical to the beliefs that are inculcated with them via the propaganda and so freedom from fear means i will shut you up and to hell with your opinions so long as uh, i don't have to fear what you have to say and it it sounds good on paper or at least in in the mind of the leftist that you know i don't have to be afraid of somebody uh you know uh, rocking my dream boat if you will but that's not what that's not what life is about that's not what freedom is you know i'm i'm allowed to express my opinion and disagree with your lifestyle or your political views and so on and so forth and to not allow that is basically censorship and so that's there's your freedom from fear right there
1: no i i agree completely i mean i wrote about that in today's uh, rant on ace of spades um the I you know, the, the ADL, the uh, anti defamation anti-defamation league of B'nai Brith, which is, has devolved into a disgusting left-wing organization. Yeah. Um, they're they're touting some uh God, a public private partnership to tackle online hate. Um and, and of course, it is government and those that public private partnership that will decide what is hate speech and what is not. And that's just terrifying to me. And the and the idea that some unelected bureaucrat is going to tell me what is legal and what is illegal to say is something that, you know, even f- 10 years ago, America would have laughed at. But, you know, the, the, the post-2020 America seems to be more and more comfortable with the idea of, of blatant fascism, a blatant totalitarianism. Um masquerading as as protecting us. And this, you know, the freedom from fear and the freedom from want.
0: Yeah, there was a I believe there was a very horrifying poll. I forgot where it was from maybe the last within the last month, saying a majority of young Americans that are coming up have no problem with uh, censorship uh, as long as, you know, of, of hate speech, quote unquote. And what is hate speech? Hate speech is just anything, any idea, any notion that goes against the government line whatever that government line may be. And that is a, I mean, that is just such a frightening thing. And, you know, to think that this is, you know, in the United States of America, or what is appearing to be more and more the former United States of America, that this concept could even be mainstream to such a level is an absolutely frightening thing. So, I mean, I don't know where you you go from there. It's it's out of control.
1: Well, speaking about, you you know, you mentioned that, these laws, these these controls over our speech, of course, will not apply to the elites, and and that is, you know, that that more than anything else is the, I think is the most important thing um, going on here, and that is that the elites have very very carefully separated themselves from the herd. There is a two tiered legal system. Everybody in the United States, if they're paying attention, realizes that, but uh, you know the. Well, for instance, the, the C40, Cities Climate Leadership Group, I think it's what it's called. Yeah. Um, uh, it was in the news recently. Uh, they have a target of, for 2030 of no meat, no dairy, no private vehicles. And this is a new one for me. And only three new clothing items per person per year, plus one short flight every three years. Now, um, this is this is a uh, an organization of which Michael Bloomberg is president. Michael Bloomberg, I'm sure, has multiple private planes. Does that short, one short flight every three years apply to Michael Bloomberg? Of course not. That's ridiculous. He will ignore every single one of these diktats because he, of course, knows better. He is one of the elites. He should tell us what to do, and we should look up and thank him for his wonderful, wise, fantastic
0: guidance. You know, as an aside, um, you know, we can blame Bill de Bolshevik for, uh, for for destroying uh, my, my beloved hometown of New York City. And he sh- sure as hell took a wrecking ball to it on, on many fronts. But before him, it was Doomberg. It was Michaelito Lolo Bloomberg, the, the midget, who basically decided that he knew better and he wanted to change New York uh, into into basically Amsterdam. And he got rid of he turned Broadway into a bike path. This is insanity, and a lot of streets became these malls and things. And he wanted to force people to use bicycles. And I'm saying this is this is madness because he had this vision that you know we, we shouldn't be using automobiles or this or that. And of course, as you point out, CBD he'll be using automobiles and limousines and so on and so forth and private jets, you know, for, from now until kingdom come. But it's this madness of knowing how to knowing better than the market than the forces of liberty of freedom of how to construct our society and how to do it better, that leads to absolute disaster time and time and time again. Whether it's the mere inconvenience of turning a major artery into no more than a little, you know, into a bike path, that's bad enough. But then there's no difference between that and a Soviet five-year plan or uh, a German -German Nazi-German four-year plan or whatever it is that, that that ultimately led to the deaths of millions of people and the suffering of millions more. This is this is exactly where it leads. Madness. What
1: What's fascinating to me is that I mean these are these are all uh, little um, pretend theories that these people have they're not they're not rigorous they're not, they're not tested. They are simply ideas. Michael Bloomberg destroyed Manhattan. Um, I don't know much about the outer boroughs, but he certainly destroyed Manhattan with these pedestrian malls that he created and, and allowing city bike, to take over uh, whole blocks with their ridiculous racks of bicycles that are used by a few thousand people in New York. I don't know, five, ten thousand 10,000 people a day use them. And millions of commuters in New York, but five or 10,000 bicyclists have taken control over midtown Manhattan. But Manhattan (laughs) used to have bad traffic, just like every major city in the world. You know, traffic was bad. You could deal with it. Um, It is so much worse than it ever has been in spite of the fact there are far fewer cars. And that's what really fascinates me. They just didn't do the math. They, they cut capacity in New York down probably 50%. Because, you know, these choke points, you know, two lanes going to one, it destroys traffic all throughout Manhattan. All so that a few thousand cyclists can virtue signal. It, it's just amazing to me. And, and the problem is that who has to drive into New York? Well, plumbers and electricians and, uh, you know, the, the, the middle class and the working class people who work in New York and need their cars. And they have no choice. But anyway, I'll stop ranting.
0: It's, it's, it's you know, it, there's an anecdotal tale and I can and I can verify where I used to live for a for time being in the neighborhood of Forest Hills. For those who are not aware, Forest Hills traditionally or now is was really elderly people, elderly Jewish residents, Russian community there. You know, it was it was it was it was an older, older people. And what Bloomberg did is CBD. These these bike lanes definitely came into the outer boroughs, and along Queens Boulevard, he he basically banned parking and he put up these bike things and so on and so forth, to the point where it destroyed uh, longstanding businesses. There used to be a delicatessen. I used to go there for years and years and years. It's called Ben's Best. It's been in New York City for. You know, for decades. And the, the, the poor guy who I knew, the owner, he went out of business because all of a sudden people couldn't park their cars to pick things up. They couldn't they couldn't literally get to, to his store, which was right on literally facing one of the busiest streets uh, thoroughfares in the entire city. And yet because of Bloomberg's bike mania, he, he destroyed foot traffic and he destroyed automobile traffic. I mean, what elderly person is going to get on a bicycle to go pick up his corned beef? You know what I mean? So, and that's just one—that's just one example of how these unintended consequences uh, (asterisk on that for a moment) have disastrous effects. They just don't think it through. They go ahead and they just institute the policy because they think it's for it's for the good of, uh, you know, it'll assuage their whatever whatever fantasy they have about uh, shaping the world. And as a, maybe they do know that it's going to destroy businesses and they don't give a damn about it. And that's a whole other, you know, kettle of fish. But this whole 2030 climate thing, we're just going to go fight like with fossil fuels, with cutting off pumping oil. We're just going to cut it off because... Saving the planet and global warming and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, what does it do? Puts tens of thousands of people out of work, drives up the cost of energy, drives up the cost of everything related with energy, which is basically everything, everything. Everything. And this is and this is this is our economy today. And here Biden is, uh, is boasting about Bidenomics or his handlers are. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. But it has lethal consequences for our society. And if they do decide that all of a sudden they're going to ban beef, they're going to ban whatever uh, fossil fuels, they're going to ban automobiles and you can only have one slice of toilet paper a week per Cheryl Crow or whatever it is. This is not going to end well. Hopefully it angers people. I don't know.
1: Well, speaking of Biden, um- Seth and I were talking before we started this up and uh I mentioned a uh a PJ Media article written by Matt Margolis. Um I think it was on yesterday's in, in, uh, on yesterday's uh morning report. Um and the the headline is oi Biden's numbers are really really bad. And th- the first line is seriously it's hard to believe Joe Biden hasn't dropped out of the 2024 presidential race yet. And this is you know it's it, this is naivete in the extreme. I mean, the idea that his polling numbers matter a, a whit to the Democrat apparatus is ridiculous. They are going to do what they want to do. They'll ignore the polls and and create a win using their cheat and their and their far far better uh, mechanism for getting out the vote. Um, and they they simply don't care what the American people want. And for a for a right of center um, news organization to take that seriously at you know oh the polls well oh, they should recognize that the polls are, are are speaking of the will of the people it's 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 embarrassing you know this is we are a, a post-democratic society we are a post-vote society and for them to ignore that
0: is it's embarrassing it is embarrassing it's it's you know and Mark is usually really a pretty one of the few good good uh, I think columnists at PJ Media which has sort of devolved into kind of a ah eh, you know whatever neoconish kind of kind of rag but in any event there was another article that that I had and I forget where it was and I and I really I do remember the quote though which is the salient point uh, they were talking about how just the elites just don't give a shit about what people have to say. And they brought up a quote for, uh, that was related to, to Dick Cheney, and it goes back to the Iraq War, where polls recited where a majority of Americans were against uh, the invasion of Iraq and, and all this kind of stuff. And Dick Cheney just uh, was asked his reaction to that, and he said, "So what?" And that just so perfectly encapsulates, you know, forget Republican, Democrat, whatever. That just encapsulates this 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 uniparty. Uh, deep state globalist so-called elite that is running the show they don't give a damn about what the average person has to say and the only reason that they don't give a damn is because right now as we know as you so uh, you know accurately point out CBD there's no accountability and the, the, the mechanisms by which they can be held accountable whether it's via elections are rigged or via the courts which are also rigged So, you know, this this can't this can't go on because more and more people across the political spectrum are seeing it, whether or not the Democrats or the hardcore leftists give a shit because they know it's rigged in their favor is another story. But, you know, it is it is rigged. So what?
1: Well, let's talk about that. Um, So the the, the
0: supposition
1: is that that it cannot go on. But uh, I, I see very little evidence that it's not going to continue um so yeah. the supposition is that there will be a groundswell of freedom loving americans americans on both sides of the aisle who will push back against this elitist uh these elit- uh, these elites telling us exactly what to do and how to eat and where to live and what to say but i don't see that i see i see it occurring in fits and starts but you know it's it's one step forward and hopefully just one step back Um, and I think that except for a few very, very narrowly focused issues like the, like, uh, the trans insanity in our schools, um, most Americans are simply too apathetic to, to take to the streets in protest and to do what it takes to, to fix what ails us.
0: The only, yeah, I mean. As horrible as our economy is between the debt and the deficits and the borrowing and the spending and all of this madness. And as horrible as the pain and suffering the average American is feeling right now between grocery shopping and gasoline shopping. And as there was a report the other day that says more Americans, there's more credit card debt now and it's huge than there has ever been. Like uh, it's, it's record levels of debt because people just can't, don't have the money, you know, to live day to day. And it's amazing how we still go on in a way as if it's sort of business as usual. That's you know, you're suffering a bit, but it's you know, or a lot, I should say. Some people are really suffering, but it's not enough. We haven't we haven't hit hit a point where there is a total or a huge economic collapse, uh the size of, let's say, the stock market crash in 29 and the Great Depression, or worse, uh, Zimbabwe levels of things, or some sort of event that leads to a Tariri Square moment or or a moment where you know Nikolai Ceausescu and his and his bride are uh, you know are, are taken and uh, done away with. Not that I'm advocating that at all. Please let me be very clear about that. Uh, so I don't get taken away and done away with in the Gulag. But we haven't reached we haven't reached such a mass societal tipping point where people have nothing left to lose. And my fear is that maybe that's what it'll take, so, so that there is nothing left to lose for the average citizen, and they do band together. And then of course by that time the apparatus of uh, surveillance and so on and so forth will will prevent people from literally getting together and organizing uh let let lest they be uh, arrested and thrown into jail for subversion
1: well that's one of the issues in china you know everybody's talking about how china is on the on the cusp of failure and how their society is imploding and you know the dem it's a demographic time bomb and blah 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 but their surveillance state is all encompassing um the, the first mm-hmm head to pop up and complain is going to get shot off um, and the next one and the next one and the next one. They, they probably predicted that their economic policies would eventually fail and that there would be widespread, um, not, not financial panic, but uh, certainly uh, unrest. And they have created a surveillance state specifically to manage that eventuality. And I think they've done a very good job of it. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's coming in the United States, especially with these ridiculous demands for a public-private partnership to combat hate speech.
0: Yes. And by the way, it's coming to America. It is here. And and you know why it's here? Because guess how the surveillance state in China was developed? It was developed with the direct and eager assistance of such notable freedom-loving companies as Google and Microsoft. Uh, They were the ones who literally without them, I don't know that the Chinese could have done it or they probably could have done it, but it would have taken them a hell of a lot longer to do it than without the help that that we gave them or perhaps even with the help that naturally they stole because there was another article today as long as we're doing these sort of quick hits and going here and there about thousands of uh, chinese nationals who are literally everywhere spying uh, for on us or the chinese whether it's in university think tanks or university laboratories or in corporate laboratories research on our
1: our military bases
0: on our military yeah they're literally buying We're allowing them to buy land next to our military bases. We're also allowing them to buy up tracts and tracts and tens of thousands of acres of farmland. And I'm going, what is this all about? This is just uh, whoever is responsible for this. Joe Biden, (laughs) cough, cough, Mitch McConnell, cough, cough, uh, need to be really uh, held accountable. But, of course, held accountable is a, uh, you know, is a laugh riot. Nobody's going to be held accountable for anything. So. Well, this is true. Yes, this is true. On that cheerful note, let's take a little bit of a break. We'll regroup and we'll uh, hit some other wonderful topics for you to uh, commit harikari with here on the Cut Jib News Radio Network. Stay tuned. (laughs)
1: Quick hits are going to keep coming. I just noticed a uh, an article about um, U.S. gun sales that have topped one million for forty nine consecutive months. Now That's a lot of guns, and uh, I've I've done my part, but I haven't bought a million. So uh, whoever whoever's out there, keep it up. Um, I think it's fascinating that as as blue states really crack down on on firearms. Um, the remaining states, uh, I think we have 37 constitutional carry states in the United States. Um, they say, you know, we don't mind guns and uh, have at it. And it doesn't seem to, to bother most people. Uh, unfortunately, in the United States, uh, there is a huge disconnect between the reality and the media hype of guns. Um I'm just I'm just waiting for Sefton to tell me that he he has purchased a uh, gun safe and
0: he is rapidly filling it up. But that's well, I, I will admit this. There was in my local area where I am living, there was a gun show over the weekend, which I wanted to get to, but unfortunately, I just didn't there were other, I had other commitments and I couldn't get to it. And I'm, I have been contemplating, strongly contemplating purchasing a gun because you can do it with relative ease here in the the dairy state of Wisconsin. And even my wife, uh, for those of you who are not aware my very liberal wife, Even she didn't necessarily flinch at that, which was kind of shocking and very pleasantly surprising to me. So there may be some uh, firearms in my immediate future if I can. My my problem is uh, economics. It's a question of uh, being able to afford them at this point because uh, uh, my situation is a bit, uh, without going into too much detail, I'm on a bit of a fixed income. So it's – but something I think like that is a definite – a good purchase it's an insurance policy uh not necessarily just for you know home invaders which luckily i don't we don't really have that too much where i am at all it's a fairly safe uh, burg where i live at but uh when these proverbial uh, spaghetti hits the fan so to speak uh on a national level it's good to to, as we say be prepared and i will i definitely am looking into that as we speak
1: you know i've always been fascinated by the idea of demonizing guns um I find that the the most pleasing reaction I get from people is, oh, yeah, I don't care. No, I don't like guns, but I don't give a shit what you do. That's perfect. That's exact. That's that's a quintessentially American reaction. You know, the the Second Amendment doesn't say that everybody has to have a gun, although I wish it did. No, no, no. (laughs) I didn't mean that, folks. Well, yes,
0: I did. Not not everybody, uh, CBD. Well, yes, that's just
1: (laughs) just conservatives like me. Um, yeah, exactly. But but it's the idea is that we are free to do what we wish, and yes. you know the, the idea that some unelected bureaucrat um, at the bureau uh, at ATF is going to uh, micromanage every single one of my purchases because of his his theoretical um, and and untested idea that if I have a bump stock, I am more apt to do bad things or if i have a 17 round magazine as opposed to a 10 round magazine in my um in my pistol that i will i am more apt to do bad things it's just insanity and it's anti freedom
0: you know and there was actually a bit of a good news out of this recent uh, tragedy that happened uh i forget where was it in was it in <sighs> Colorado. I forgot where it was, but the sheriff, basically, it was a black guy, and they were expecting him to go railing against guns and railing against white supremacy and so on and so forth. And the guy basically said, "It's not the gun is the problem; it's mental health is the problem." And he basically, what I, he's been echoing. He must have been listening to, to this podcast at some point because he said, "Because <laughs> there's never been there's never been a case of a gun just literally picking itself and, up and shooting uh, without anybody picking it up and shooting it." And that's the logic. The gun is not the problem. The problem is the person with the gun, as we all know from this crazy transsexual terrorist that that nobody seems to want to talk about in uh, you know that, that gun down a, a Christian school and uh, children, innocent children and, and teachers in, in Tennessee. But everybody wants to talk about, you know, a, a, a white person uh, going on a rampage wherever it was and because he was, you know, he was supposed. Supposedly a racist, but this is you know this is madness. It is the gun is not the problem. The problem is the individual who has the intent of using the gun, or using a knife, or using an automobile, or a Molotov cocktail, or, or anything for that matter. It's not that's not the problem. That's the problem. The problem is why are we do we have this uptick in violence? And we know why there is an uptick in violence it is because of the societal dissolution of this last 60 years that was brought about by the american left and that's to me that's that is the answer at least a major part of the answer
1: well it's lack of respect for human life and i think that uh abortion is a huge part of that we have desensitized uh huge swaths of america to death and death of innocence uh and how how you can justify uh, allowing the the killing of an unborn child uh and then rail against a a shooting in a school is a little weird. Uh it's internally inconsistent. You cannot support the death of the unborn and then criticize the death of the born. Um we have yeah. to be consistent in our in 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 our society. And abortion abortion more than any single thing I think uh has has degraded that respect for human life.
0: Which, of course, brings up the thorny issue of the political side of the abortion issue, which we have talked about many, many times on, on, on this podcast. And for me, it's and I agree with you, CBD, the, 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 the need by, by certain people in the Republican Party to go whole hog and, and demand a national ban on it, a national ban on abortion, just all, all it does is it fires up the left. But on the same token, it also gives an opportunity, forget that issue, it shouldn't be. The, the decision, the Dobbs decision was the right decision because it just threw it back to the states. It, it, it restored the status quo before Roe versus Wade, which was in 1973. And the question should be, whenever somebody says, uh, do you oppose a woman's right to choose? My answer is always, uh, "The to, to right to choose up until what point? And then it's like you watched, it's a deer in the headlights and it's a glorious thing. Do you mean, uh, what, after three weeks, after four weeks, after two months, three months, second trimester, when you're crowning, when your water breaks, when you're two years old, which is what uh, Obama's science advisor, John Holdren, actually advocated, said people aren't really fully formed until they're two years old, which essentially means he said you can abort someone when they're two years old up until that point. So it's a question of at what point, where do we draw the line? There's got to be a line drawn somewhere. That's, that, that we can put this issue to bed, but they don't want to put it, it to bed because it's too strong politically. Then you have idiots like Lindsey Graham, who sabotaged the 2022 election by going crazy. So, ugh, what a mess.
1: Well, a mess. I'm going to make my uh, semi-regular plea to uh, shut the fuck up about abortion for uh, the next uh, 18 months or 14 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, that the right, that the conservative um, right has to Calm down, accept the win, the fantastic, amazing, significant win with Dobbs, and mm-hmm. just calm down. No mm-hmm. more talk about uh, about national laws, about uh, governing abortion, none of that. Just, you know, whenever it's brought up, just say, yeah. you know, uh, Dobbs has returned the question to the states where I think it's appropriate, um, so you should probably speak with your state legislatures.
0: Well, you know, there's the toothpaste is out of the tube and they are going to make it a national issue. So we better know how to to argue the case from a moral standpoint and say, well, look, let's like I said, at what point is it? okay you want it. You want the right to choose. At what point do you not have the right to choose and make them make them stand by their position, whatever that position is, or show the inconsistency of their position and make them look like idiots and then go in for the kill. But you're absolutely right. This whole notion of, of, of the, the national issue is, is madness. And I don't, I wouldn't even want a national ban on abortion. It is up to the states. If, if we are constitutional conservatives, if we, if we promote the Ninth and 10th Amendment like we always do, then we too have to shut the fuck up about imposing a will, no matter how justified it might be from a moral standpoint. You can't impose your will on the people in that regard. I agree with that. So, you know, one thing of the other folks.
1: Okay, well, we've solved that issue. So what's next?
0: (laughs) Well, Biden was in, uh, as we talk about Joe Biden and his wonderful economy, he was in Pennsylvania railing against Donald Trump and calling him basically, you know, the man, which was, was, it would be laughable if it wasn't so disgusting. He was basically saying Donald Trump never created a job in his life. This from a man who has literally gonifed his way to everywhere he's been for the last 50 years. Forgetting about Donald Trump's uh, miraculous presidency when it came, as best he could, to tariffs, taxation, and energy, which led to the, the greatest job boom in American history, um, his, his position, his, his life as an entrepreneur, as a real estate developer, as an employer, as a, as a hotelier, has created thousands upon thousands of jobs over the last fifty years since he's been you know, working with his dad and working on his own. So it's just such a ridiculous thing. Meanwhile, we have the United Auto Workers fretting and moaning that uh, because of this Green New Deal, they're going to lose 20% of, of, of auto manufacturing jobs, which, uh, as we discussed before we went on the air, CBD, well, that's tough darts, uh, UAW. You, for years, have supported the, the Democrat Party as champions of labor when they are anything but the champions of labor. And now you're going to suffer the comp- consequences of just being political cannon fodder now that they've achieved their power and they don't need you anymore.
1: Well, this uh, actually, uh, Buck Throckmorton wrote yesterday in a post on Ace of Spades that, um, that he spoke about the, uh, the the lack of a position in American politics for American labor. There is no uh, natural fit for them anymore. Um, uh, but of course, and, and I made this point to him uh, and he agreed that uh, American labor has no place in American politics anymore, but uh, the labor elites – uh, which we alluded to uh, a little while ago certainly have a, a place, and that is firmly in the clutches of the Democrat Party or the progressive wing of the Democrat Party, and that because there is a huge amount of money being funneled from, uh, in particular, the United Auto Workers uh, into Democrat coffers, and then of course it goes through the circular uh, pathway, uh, you know, from pocket to pocket. Um, so uh, you know, as as cruel as this may sound, I don't give a shit that the UAW is going to lose twenty percent of its uh, of its members to low paying jobs. I don't care. Good for them. You know, it shit happens. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. You made that bed, now you get to sleep in it.
0: Absolutely. So the combination of you know uh, uh, over crazy regulations, crazy union demands, uh, the opening of the border, and flooding us with with uh, you know migrants from all over the world, quote unquote, doing the jobs that Americans refuse to do, which is an expression that makes me sick to my stomach. All of these things have led to the de- demise of American labor. Yep. And until at such point we can bring real jobs back and. And the, the, the unions unions, I don't think are really needed anymore. They haven't been needed for a long time. Well, a hundred we, years ago,
1: they certainly, well, 125 yeah, years ago, they certainly
0: ago. were needed, we're needed. Um, but, but I, mean, uh, I agree. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, they, they've made their bed with these people and now they've got to suffer those consequences and it's, it's too bad, but you know, get your mind right. Stop voting for people who do not have your interests at heart and never yeah. will have your interests. at heart. Yeah. So, so one
1: last, one last point I want to make before we, we end this. And that is that, yeah. um, New Jersey's uh, um, status as a sanctuary state, which the uh, our current um, governor, uh, Phil Murphy, was touting when he was running, I think, in 2016 or 2017. Uh, he's shot that down completely because uh, apparently it's perfectly OK for Texas to pay for illegal immigrants. But when New Jersey starts paying for them, uh, he gets very, very upset Um <laughs> So he has he he has declared that the entire state is off limits to uh, to these illegals, which I think is very very interesting. From a, I mean, from a good progressive man, how how dare he?
0: Anyway, <laughs> exactly exactly. Same thing with New York with Hochul and, and Eric Adams. Let them choke on choke on on the problems. I mean, New York is turning into a disaster area with that alone, let alone all the other crazy decriminalization of crime and all of it. But yeah. anyway, this has been. Uh, the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks podcast. Another scintillating episode has come to an end. For CBD, it's JJ Sefton. Just want to thank everybody for hitting the tip jar. We really appreciate it. It helps us out more than you can imagine. And and thanks again for doing that. Keep the cards and letters coming and we'll see you soon on the next one.
1: Folks, I'm going to echo that sentiment. Thank you very, very much for all of the help. Um, It's fantastic. It's amazing. Um, And my next request is that you mix it up in the comments on Cut Chip Newsletter as well as on Ace of Spades, where many of you come from. Um, it's, it's a hoot, and uh, the more the more of it, the better. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening.